Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. We're going to talk today a little bit about Crusader Kings 3. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we talk about games. But first, I do want to introduce uh, someone who is, I guess, not that uncommonly on the podcast. You've maybe overtaken our other guests uh, in terms of just like raw appearances. Nick, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. What was the last time Nick was on for? I don't uh, actually building, remember. Building Omega. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, that, wow, that actually was not too long ago. That was like two months ago. Yeah, okay. So, uh, Crusader Kings 3 has come out, blown the doors down, right? Um, folks are going pretty crazy for it. We have talked in the past about our love for Paradox Games, my love in particular for Europa Universalis and then Stellaris. We've talked about Stellaris a million times. Mango has talked about Crusader Kings 2. Um, I've even gotten into Hearts of Iron 4, Hoi 4. Um, so we are certainly no strangers when it comes to uh, the like the big, the bad, and the ugly <laughs> Imperator Rome <laughs> of the Paradox wow. Grand Strategy repertoire. Um, but so, where I don't, I don't even know where to begin with this with this one. So, so the first thing I just want to kind of note, and because this is separate from the game itself, is that this game might be like the Paradox game to kind of break into the mainstream. Right? It got a ten really? out of ten from IGN. Right. Like okay. If, um, you know, just like IGN reviewing this game, just like not a thing I expected. Um, and it's also on like the Microsoft Game Pass. It's like one of the kind of advertised titles for the Microsoft Game Pass. So yeah. Um, it's it's gotten a lot of like what I would call relatively mainstream attention. It's also kind of released in kind of like a. It's been kind of an empty year almost, you know, you know, curse of 2020 or whatever, curse of mm-hmm. the, the coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's supposed to be releasing next to, right, like Cyberpunk got pushed here and then pushed out. Yeah. Uh, a bunch of other stuff has been, you know, swapped around in here. And I am seeing, I, I think I can corroborate that to a certain extent. I am seeing a lot more Crusader Kings discussion among, weirdly, WoW and like League of Legends people. I've... I've I follow a lot of WoW people because obviously I play a lot of WoW, but I also like still follow a lot of League of Legends people because I just like never got around to unfollowing them on Twitter. But it is really funny seeing folks like that talk about Crusader Kings because I always think of them as being in just like completely different ballparks. Like maybe, maybe I'd see some overlap with like Hearthstone players because like Hearthstone is a strategy game, right? You know, it, it's not weird to see Crip or um, Trump, uh, the Hearthstone streamers, playing like Civ, right? Um, or something kind of along those lines. But it is it does seem like very weird to me uh, that I'm seeing like WoW people and, and uh, MOBA people talk about Crusader Kings. Uh, it's just like, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> you know? yeah, I, I wonder how much of that is like a marketing push from, from Paradox and how much of it just kind of like, it's also like, of the Paradox games, this is the first one with what I would call modern graphics. And not that I think that's a detriment sure. to the old games, but the game looks a lot prettier than its predecessor, and it's the first one with kind of, like, some of these things. And they use it pretty well, too, right? Like, the, the map's pretty... The map is pretty, and the the whole kind of, like, character portraits are... Um, the way they evolve and whatever is kind of nice. But I, I think that's maybe the, the kind of play, natural place to start, is I think the two biggest... And most obvious improvements are, like I said, the graphics. Um, but the second one is that this plays a lot like Crusader Kings 2, but like rockable by somebody by somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, right? Like, um, I remember it took me three attempts bouncing off of Crusader Kings 2 for me to finally get it, finally understand. 
how how to, like you know how to make the game work. Whereas I feel like this one's a lot better at at uh, at, at um kind of getting you into the game uh, without having to kind of know everything that's happening. Yeah, I mean, I feel that. I I don't I don't think I've ever really like truly gotten into Crusader Kings two. I have fifteen hours playtime because uh, I did go pretty deep in a couple of you know games, like maybe like eight hours in two different games. Um, but you know, just comparing that to like right, like my Europa Universalis playtime is one hundred and eighty hours. My Stellaris playtime is over two hundred. So I never really connected to Crusader Kings that that same way. Jesus yeah. Christ! How do I have four hundred eighty three hours on CK two? well so yeah because you guys have played a lot of ck2 together i never really got into like those multiplayer streams for ck2 um in the same way that it felt like that was something that got uh that that like attracted you know you guys yeah i it's 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 got its kind of magic to it right like um i actually i have over 100 hours but you not have 400 hours but it's it's got that kind of like very um uh, kind of like you know, just play. F- it's, it's not quite one more turn, but it's very much kind of like play for one more year type of deal. Like you know, I'll get off once I finish this goal, and then you know, when that happens, like well, gotta wait for you know the building to finish building or whatever. That that, that exact kind of kind of feel. Um, I think it's uh, I like uh, it, it's, it, and I, I think this this game kind of this new game kind of captures that in the same kind of, um. Actually, I'm kind of impressed by how much of CK2 made it into CK3 that didn't kind of get reset and will be rebought in DLCs, if that makes okay, sense. Okay, what what do you think falls into that category? Because I'm interested to hear, like, wh- where you see that. Um, so just, like, so the things that, like, are cut out are kind of, like, different government types, but, like, the Religious Reformation, I believe, was a piece of DLC, which is in the core game. The kind of... Um, the different government types, I think, weren't initially um, uh, weren't initially accessible in base CK two, right? Like you've got like fairly broad ability to play the um, the caliphates and the tribes and uh, the, the Christians, um, which were I know the caliphates you couldn't play initially, um, but uh, but all of that is kind of included in the base game. Also kind of the initial expansion of the map, right? Like you've got a bigger map than you had at end state CK2. You can play the Rajas, although I think they're maybe not as fleshed out as, um, as they mm-hmm. could be. Um, I don't know if they were particular. I don't recall if they were particularly fleshed out in CK2 as a separate entity, but like starting with them in the game gives you some room to grow them out. If that makes sense. Um, and so like, like I said, like you can't play the Merchant Republics, you can't play the Pope. Although uh, I'm not, I can't remember if you could ever play the Pope in C. Um, you could not. Theocracy was the one thing they never allowed okay. because the way it succeeds, it wouldn't necessarily make the most sense to. Right. Okay, that makes sense. Um, but uh, just kind of like and and like a lot of like uh, a lot of things that kind of grew over time that were iterated in the base game obviously made the jump forward in a, in a, in a very nice way what, what do you think nick do you, do you feel the same way do you, like, it feels like a, a, a like it, it didn't uh it, or that we didn't lose too much in the, in, the, in the in the transfer right other than merchant republics uh which did feel a bit of a sting and nomads which honestly a lot of people are not mourning um we kept a remarkable amount, remarkable amount of CK two 
available to play here. Uh, I, I'm actually really surprised by just how much carried over. Um, really more, it's a lot of the quirkier mechanics like societies and um, a lot of the life, the lifestyles, but they didn't necessarily not get carried over. They came through in a whole new way. So uh, while I'm still looking for good ways to figure out how to educate my children the way I want them to, um, there's still plenty of uh, options and lots of new options in terms of how you build up your lifestyles, all the different uh, RPG trees to grow through as well. Yeah, I think that might be a, a good thing to highlight because it, it really feels like you could select your focus in uh, in CK2 and you'd get events that would fire and they'd be like vaguely related. Um, but th- this this game has really done, I think, an excellent job in kind of incentivizing that behavior and making it kind of like you're really building the character. You've got your three trees in uh, each lifestyle choice that lets you kind of uh, get like some really kind of nice and uh, ruler defining perks in a way, right? Like the way that you kind of play that character is kind of built on uh, on how you build out those trees. But on, at the same time, you've got three options for how you play those three, um, for for how you gain experience of those trees, right? Like uh, like the intrigue is there's a uh, there's like a scheme focused one, a seduction focused one, and a uh, uh, interrogation focused one. Um, and they're not, those are not only the the three trees, but there's the three ways you gain experience, and they're not directly tied. But they they, whereas like if you I played a lot of stewardship in CK two, um, if you pick the stewardship focus, you kind of get like a mix of income based events and building based events and uh, kind of like general stewardship based events. Um, I'm pretty sure that those types of events are now driven by which uh, focus you have selected, which of the three focuses you select. So like your income based events. And your builder based events are are on kind of separate uh, trees, and you can kind of mix it, not only trees in the skill point sense, but also in the kind of uh, experience gaining sense. And I think that's uh, that's super interesting and super uh, cool too. Um, yeah, I like the lifestyles a lot. Um, I remember feeling this way about uh, the first, or not the first, but the second. Uh, Crusader Kings game where it was just like there were all of these systems on top of systems on top of systems. Whereas the Lifestyles trees in CK3 have sort of distilled a lot of those into kind of a simpler, more manageable interface in a way, right? Like I can kind of just like instantly see the lifestyle, instantly kind of understand on my, on its face what that lifestyle is kind of like driving towards, Um in a way that just, like, is, you know, like you said, more grokkable compared to what the systems looked like in, in CK2. Yeah, and it also, not only that, but, like, I, I felt that it was, like, that there were some choices that you could make. Like, like, essentially what you chose in CK2 was kind of what you needed to do at that point in time. Um, whereas here it feels more like there are more reasons to choose different lifestyles right like um, yeah you can live a life as a diplomat or as a schemer or as a steward uh in ck3 whereas in ck2 it felt like you know you might pop over to intrigue to get seduction to seduce for a little while but then if you weren't doing that then you'd probably be popping back over to something else right like i personally felt like steward was almost always the best way to do things um so i locked myself on steward and i haven't felt the 
the kind of need to do that um, or the desire to do that in uh, in CK3. I think they did a good good job of kind of pro- providing um, uh, reasons uh, or like a, a variety of gameplay. And not only that, but like also good incentives for doing it, right? Like um, you get a certain experience, you get bonus experience for following the thing you're naturally good at. Then you've also got like other kind of uh, incentives, right? Like your traits would be like, well, if you're honest, then scheming is bad. It's kind of like causes you stress um, and that kind of disincentivizes it. Um, and may- maybe that's a good kind of place to roll it into is, is, is the stress system. Um, it's probably kind of like the single, the single most different thing. Cause there was no sense of, the, or there was kind of sense of it in uh, CK2. It was like a kind of like a set of events that could happen. It felt like, but now it's kind of this ever present thing. Um, that and stress management is a big it feels like it's a big part of the game um uh and it it kind of uh it's ever present on on the left side of your screen kind of dealing with how stressed you are although i will say that in some games it seems like it's less of a less of a thing to balance than others but it's definitely a, I, I think it's a it's a it's a cool new kind of thing to juggle um uh how, like uh, how, how do you guys feel about the stress system I'm waiting for like Nick to go because uh, <laughs> I haven't played that much. So, full, full, full I, honesty here. I have not played as much CK3 as uh, how many? How many hours do you guys have? Uh, Let me check. I have 24 hours. <laughs> um, That's not so bad. Wow, I actually have. I I I thought we played more last night. I only have three hours. We only played. We played last night in a game, uh, and then I was also watching a bunch of a let's play. I was watching a Quill 18 let's play. Um, because I've just been like so hardcore fucking addicted to WoW, I guess. Um, and uh, so I, so like I, I, I don't know that I'm super uh, capable of answering that question. Uh, so I, I've put in more like 45 hours. It looks like. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Well, we got the right guy for the podcast, Mango. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I find stress to be interesting. For one, it because stress is based. Uh, in large part on what traits your character has, it does actually encourage you to roleplay your character more because typically the things that would be breaking character are things that would raise stress. Um, at the same time, there's certain play styles where if you have certain builds, you would want to be stressed because you get bonuses when you're stressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the flip side, though, if you get too stressed, you are more likely to have a heart attack and die of stress. Um, so there's pros and cons to stress, and it's an interesting mechanic. Um, and it also does play a part in how you raise your kids, where it's basically, oh, hey, your kid's getting one of three traits. Uh, there's the default trait that they're growing into, uh, and you have the option of changing it to one of two additional choices, but if you change it, you take on stress. Yeah. I actually think that that's... So the, the fact that it's super explicit um, that it's going to happen, um, and uh, there's like a whole meter for it, it feels more like a resource to spend rather mm-hmm. than kind of like a thing that occasionally happens, which is kind of how it felt in CK2. Uh, just because it was like a kind of a trait like any other that was like event-based. And it was a little bit more frequent. Yeah, I have never experienced a bad 
outcome due to stress because I've kept my stress below. There's like three levels or whatever, and I've never like ticked into stress one, right? Okay. So I kind of have the feeling that it's almost like like health and Hearthstone or something, right? Where like it does change your decision making if you're at five HP or if you're at thirty HP, but it really only matters when you cross the threshold. Um, so part of the reason that you didn't see uh, much in the way of stress events in your run was you were playing as a diplomat who had a ton of friends and that's a very stress relieving play style um, such that you would basically clear your stress almost as fast as you could earn it. Yeah. I was also very afraid of stress. Uh, I very rarely, but like my King was just, he wasn't actually a King. I guess he was a Duke uh, was just and honest. And I very rarely took like the deceitful, you know, uh, path because I wanted to I wanted to keep that stuff going. Also, like it, it seemed as though like the place I, I kind of was opting into a play style that was rewarding me for those things, right? Like I was very focused on prestige. I wanted to get as much prestige as possible because of the way that my lifestyle like worked out, where it was like the more famous you are, the more diplomacy you have, you get more diplomacy benefit from being famous or whatever. So I was looking for as much prestige as possible and trying to keep my prestige up. And it seems that you get a lot of prestige for doing just and honest things, right? Whereas the stuff I was explicitly not focused on and avoiding, right? Like hostile schemes or whatever. That was the stuff where it was like, well, am I going to shill out, you know, a ton of, you know, like, am I going to shill out a ton of prestige and stress in order to like get plus two on a murder scheme? Of course not. Yeah, no that 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 makes sense. Um, it's also one of those things where it, 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 I think this is interesting because um, once you tick over that first line once, it starts to become more of a factor in the in in your in your life, right? Like you you rarely like don't like solve that problem ever, right? Like tick over that line, and then like every five years, you might have a mental break, um. And you have to deal with it at that point. It's very interesting. It's actually, I think, kind of a shame for the purpose of this podcast or th this discussion that you didn't get to see it in action. But um, I think it's kind of a very interesting yin and yang that that drives the game. Um, but kind of in that vein, what I was talking about earlier about having like being like being able to see into it and how it's like much more understandable than uh, than the previous game. I think that's like another one of the big kind of benefits of the upgrade is that things are now kind of like meters that fill that you can follow along with. And like, you know, they don't always, you know, it's not always guaranteed to fill up at, you know, every, you know, tick or, you know, fill a little bit more every tick, but like, it's, it's all kind of like easily mm -hmm. seeable, right? Like I can't tell you how many times in CK2 I would send uh, my dude to go fabricate a claim on a, uh, on a, like a uh, on like a county and it's like you know oh it's got a certain percent chance and i just leave him there for years and years and years it would never kind of pop now it's it's a progress bar that fills and eventually you will get it right it might take a little bit longer a little bit slower but like it's 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 much it's i think a much better way of handling it so that like you know is that way with the murder scheme it's that way with uh um, it's definitely a much clearer way of handling it. One thing CK2 had was that in the back end, you would have schemes on schemes for people that weren't you, so you would never see them. But one thing you'll see um, when your liege has you trying to fabricate a claim, 
was the person you're trying to fabricate a claim on could buy you off and you would get gold for it. And what was happening is that same event was firing AI to AI where your chancellor was getting bought off by that foreign individual so that it actually removed that chance of it ever even firing to begin with as well. So there's all sorts of different things that were going on in um, CK2 behind the scenes that were not obvious. And yeah, I think that that's true for a lot of the older Paradox games. Like, this is something that's very true of Europa Universalis, especially if you want to do even things that, like, you and I would think of as intuitive kind of experiences that the game should provide. For instance, forming Germany or Italy, they are the result of a very long and convoluted set of, like events and decisions that like and like uh, and triggers that have to go off in a very specific order in order to like get the thing to go off correctly so like if you want to form germany if you start playing europa universalis and you say i'm gonna start in 1444 and i am going to form germany you need to like look up a guide because you're not gonna be able to get there intuitively through the game and what the game and what ck3 has done is taken a lot of that you know like back-end work of just like percent chances that events will trigger essentially and brought it much more to the forefront it feels like uh by having things like stress fill up by having the lifestyles which are kind of more clearly acting on you know how you how your like events are going to trigger by showing you in your council scene or like your council screen where like this counselor has a low thing so you might get events that are like you lose taxes you lose whatever do you know what i mean yeah absolutely and uh they've also made the tooltips much better right like that was the thing that they talked about and i think is a very good addition is well, the tooltips are out and you can like hover over those tooltips and uh if you then or you can you can move your mouse into those tooltips to get tooltips on the tooltips and you can keep cascading them in order to figure out whatever the hell you want to figure out if you don't know what you're looking at. I think that's yep. been like a, another great thing for like figuring out what the hell's happening at, at any at, at any given time. Um but like you know stuff stuff you were talking about right like there's a whole decisions page that's like very kind of like it's, a, it's like a whole big tab that you can click on whereas I remember it was kind of like I feel like it was kind of hidden on mm-hmm. in CK2 like a big list of decisions and you know the very important ones at the top which is was 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 kind of true in uh in, in CK uh in CK2 but I think it's just better here right a long list of big decisions and you can mouse over them and see exactly what you need to do in order to get those decisions to fire off and they can like kind of drive your gameplay right like in, in a game Nick and I were playing with a friend of the cast X um uh a couple of weeks ago um uh you know we were playing the Scandinavians or the Scandinavian brothers, three of the five of them. And one of my decisions was, uh, imp, you know, uh, uh, in, implement the Dane law, right? Which is um, a specific decision for the Scandinavians where you destroy England and uh, create the Dane law. Um, and I was like, oh, that's a neat thing. I am going to drive for that. And that kind of drove my behavior there. And the fact that it was you know, so front and center um, was super interesting. Uh, and it's, it's super clear and super, super fun to play with. And so I, I very much enjoyed them very much enjoying kind of the, the, the new structure. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is something that they have gotten better about over time. Um, 
I'm pretty sure that in Europa Universalis, it is not that hidden anymore. And it is more upfront about like how to, how to do some of these like pathway things. This is me. Like I'm talking about like six years ago, the Europa yeah. Universalis I was playing kind of behaved this way. Stellaris also doesn't seem to behave this way anymore. Um, you know, for instance, we have a good understanding of um, like what end game event we're going to trigger just by like reading, you know, like it'll say in the technology, this could have X, Y, or Z sorts of consequences. You can see all of your Ascension perks, for instance. Um, and so you can kind of see uh, like where you're like where you're heading um, or whatever. But I, I do want to, what I like about bringing up Europa Universalis and Solaris is because like, I do want to talk about some of this stuff on a, like a system by system level. Um, because I think the thing that CK2 did well that I bounced off of in a way uh, and that I found myself very easily falling into this time uh, is like the character-based kind of mechanics of it, right? Whereas I feel like Stellaris and Europa, more more so Stellaris, is, is like a systems simulator, right? Where you are essentially crafting a machine it's almost like factorio in that way you are crafting a gigantic machine and that machine is is built to expand and conquer and do all of this other sort of stuff right but like the 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 thing that describes a good Stellaris player from a bad Stellaris player is like how efficient they are able to make that machine run. How much gold do they need? How much food do they need? How much, you know, like minerals or whatever else as they, you know, slowly start to kind of consume the entirety of the galaxy. And Europa Universalis is also pretty like similar in this, in this vein, though there's like more role playing involved because it's obviously historical. When it comes to CK3 though, the there's almost no focus on that right you can build buildings but it takes forever and they're super expensive and they're pretty basic i would say like there's not you know you don't have the same sort of like interconnected building webs of systems that you get in stellaris uh for instance or even eu4 to be honest um and then and and that kind of means that like whereas in Stellaris all of your time is built towards creating the system and managing your system and getting all of your inputs and outputs in like desired places by tuning all of these knobs whatever that means you know like pops and stuff like that um that in CK3 that gets all replaced with like character stuff right you are enacting schemes you are managing character events you are right like directing specific people in your court to do specific things, whether that's like, you know, granting them a seat on your council, whether that's, you know, uh, uh, adding them to your repertoire of like knights or whatever, right? Like you are, you are always in the business of managing individual people rather than sort of like populations at large. That's what I see as like the core difference between like the, the Stellaris half of, of these paradox sorts of titles and the CK three half. Does that make sense to you guys? That makes, that, that makes perfect sense. Cause, cause you're, you're basically playing, you're playing a line of Kings, right? Like I call it almost like a medieval dynasty simulator, right? Like there might come a time when, you know, you die and you take up your son, but your son, because of your election laws, doesn't inherit everything. So, you know, you might've been playing as, you know, this conglomeration of, uh, you know, all the counties in Ireland, but then, like you, uh, you die, and uh, no one's, and so, and your titles pass out. So you only become 
one of the duchies and it's not even the duchy that you started as right so mm-hmm. like um you're definitely playing those characters and trying to manage the way that they work rather than playing uh, eu4 and stellaris like you're playing as those civilizations or like the spirit of those nations um, yeah and one of the things that's interesting is like you can see your dynasty right like if i want to as whoever duke whatever i can like open up my dynasty stream see my whole like family tree or whatever but it's not like i'm ever like making choices or building things for my dynasty in the same way that you do for like eu4 for instance right eu4 has these national ideas which will just be things that like your nation so for like for spain uh, they have a lot of national ideas that revolve around exploration. And so, like, they get extra explorers and the explorer time is cut off and their ability to colonize is, uh, like, way easier than, like, other groups. And that's something that will be there no matter what king, right? You know, as soon as my king dies, and, and my king is important, but as soon as he dies, right, I, th- that national idea is still on and most of those systems are on that kind of like national level rather than on those person on the personal level the dynasty screen has almost none of that it's not like i'm ever making real decisions that are passing power like forward through the ages except for in in like you know changing like the succession laws so that like my my kids you know uh succeed me correctly or whatever it's not like i'm adding modifiers to my dynasty down the line right the almost all of my gameplay and all of my focus is built on my specific character and when that character dies well rest in peace long live the king move on kind of thing so a couple of things one there is there you we didn't play long enough for you to, to see it but there are there are bloodline kind of effects that you can uh you can oh really? I did not see any of these. Yeah, they're they are right. relatively one, minor. Go on, sorry, Nick. Oh, okay. One thing CK three added is renown. It takes a long time to build up, uh, but as you uh, get it in increments of one thousand or increase in increments of one thousand, you can unlock a number of perks uh, that will affect everyone of your house. Uh, oh, and the main trees are warfare. Law, Guile, Blood, Erudition, Glory, and Kin. And for instance, if you take the Blood Purse, which I'm particularly uh, keen on, it'll give you like an increased chance of inheriting good, good congenital traits and an uh, increased chance of new good congenital traits just spontaneously appearing. Later on, you'll also get something where it like reduces the chance of inheriting a bad congenital trait or reinforcing a congenital trait where if two, if the parents both have like a tier one uh quick for instance uh that the child might have the tier two uh intelligent um, interesting okay so so those systems are there i mean they are they are definitely like minimized uh but they exist yeah and so so this is actually something interesting too is i don't know if you you screwed around in the culture screen at all but those kind of like national idea things actually uh, i think they're 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 relatively minor but they they appear in it was effectively the text screen which is the uh culture screen and the head of the culture, which is the person that owns the most territories of that culture, um, can kind of determine which way, which what what uh, tech the essentially the culture is studying. And then there's one that's like kind of inspired, which is I think something derived from somebody nearby who has that. Um, and it gives you neighboring like, culture group. Okay. okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but what's interesting about that is that that is actually changeable, right? Like you can change your culture. Um, in a way that I presume in EU4, which I have not put a ton of, that you can't, right? Can, if you're Portugal, you can't become Spanish, can you? 
Um, uh, so actually you kind of can, um, okay. but it is complicated and not quite. So there's a process called Westernization that like, so this is a little bit of a tangent. So something that happened a lot, um, in old versions <clears throat> of EU4 was people would play countries like, you know, Japan, um, or something, but the goal for those countries was to get, if you share a land border with a, with a different country's research group, you could adopt that research group. And if you adopted the Western research group, you would, you could Westernize, right? So like you would have these Japanese playthroughs where people would like go really hardcore on exploring so that they could like settle the west coast of Panama so that when like the Spanish settled the east coast of Panama in like you know 1450 or whatever it is um they, they can like instantly like instantly westernize 600 years you know in the in in the past kind of thing um so there was so there is like a little bit of a process when it comes to that sort of thing but i see what you're saying no it's 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 interesting cuz like i i think more than any of the other get like you know Imperator was like neat, but like didn't feel like it built too much on a, on a lot of other stuff. Um, and maybe it's gotten better. I haven't played it since launch, but uh, CK three really feels like it's kind of the culmination of a bunch of things that happened in CK two and EU four in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, and you know, there's probably some Stellaris stuff in there too. But like, that's all like I think super, uh, super fascinating. And I wonder when we're gonna get like E five, um, because uh, you know that 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 would kind of be the uh, you know I would love to play a CK three into EU five type of game because uh, they they do overlap there right like because you said you said uh, EU four starts in like fourteen forty four that's technically like seven years before CK three ends uh, so yeah that is the first year I think fourteen forty four in the last year of CK three is fourteen fifty three so you get like. I think there's a way to do CK2 to EU4, so I, I think it'd be cool to to, to see. I, I'd love to see these, like, I'd love to see the, essentially the, the next iteration. I think it's all super, super fun. Um, but, uh, uh, did we, I, did you, so, um, I've, obviously we've, we we are still relatively early in this, but um, I'm curious if you guys have any particular criticisms of the game. Um, Mine all kind of stem, or like my my biggest ones stem from kind of the uh, the AI being kind of dumb. Uh, I don't think we played a lot of Wars last night, so maybe Buddy hasn't seen this as much. But the the um, your allied AI tends to not be as smart at following you. Seems to be kind of like just kind of like does infuriating things. Also, the the uh, uh, the AI will uh, jump its its uh, its troops down onto boats all the time, which costs money. And like just do weird random things with it, and so I think that there's room for that to improve. But that's kind of like a almost like a thing, like a thing you'd expect if that makes sense, right? Like, yeah, I'm not really prepared to make any criticisms after like three hours of play. There's definitely like stuff that I want to see more of, or I want to interact with, you know, more commonly, I guess. Um, but uh. I don't know. Yeah, I don't have anything on my mind. What about what about you, Nick? So what I would say is that there are two trends that I definitely see the AI pursuing primarily in pretty much every single combat. One is the hyper-focus on the enemy capital and will try to siege the enemy capital down first and foremost, um, which 
causes some very complicated interactions. Additionally, uh, when they suspect they're going to lose a fight, they will do whatever they can to avoid it naturally, which makes it very infuriating to chase them down, but also will cause them to frequently retreat into the water where there is no combat um, whenever they have the time to actually do so. And one complaint I've commonly seen is that it's too cheap to actually uh, make your boats and go out on the water because uh, the AI just gets out into the sea all the time for escape routes. Um, and that the main way that sea, or that they can fix that would be to increase the cost of uh, setting sail. At the same time, it already feels like it's really expensive for me personally to do it. So I don't know how the AI is getting enough gold to do that all the time, repeatedly. So I actually saw a post uh, similar to this, and uh, it's part of it is that the AI can overspend. Um, like, it doesn't care as much about having gold. Like, somebody posted a screenshot oh. of somebody with, like, that was, like, 10,000 gold in debt. Um, oh, Jesus. Yeah. So, uh, the, like, whatever whatever kind of check there, I guess, that, that sees if they should do that maybe isn't in a... Firing or it needs to be adjusted, and maybe is a great way to put it. But I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Especially if you're playing like if you're playing mainland Europe, there's like less room to fuck around in. But like, or there's less like obvious ways to fuck around. But like, we were playing that uh that you know basically British Scandinavian game. Um, there's water everywhere. Not only is there water everywhere, but like, I would like like uh this is a war that you dragged me into. But you know, they were like going for, like, a piece of land that was adjacent to me um, that I was helping you out with. And I would keep them from sieging it down, and I would beat their army, and then I'd start to march up to them so I could take their, one of their their their, uh, their territories. And then, like, halfway through that, I'd look down, and they had sailed around the world and landed back and were taking the, 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 uh, the territory again. It was just infuriating to try and deal with and try and, and you know, try and, like, lock them down and get them away from everything so yeah uh, i i find this commonly with uh it reminds me a lot of forced march shenanigans in uh total war warhammer 2 where it when you have a powerful force it can sometimes be really frustrating when like you know you could win the battle and they're not even doing anything useful but they're just kind of like running around your territory and just like god damn it stay still for one fucking second so i can lock you down and kill you kind of thing do you know what i mean yeah um i've seen this in a lot of strategy games for sure um yeah it's a hard thing to to deal with too right like um thankfully again the thing that came in from ck2 is like when you eventually when you're marching you get locked in so you can't just like (laughs) uh change direction immediately and uh and get yourself, uh, and, you know, and, and avoid it. Um, on the plus, like on the plus side, from like the player point of view, or like I don't know, I don't know if it's a plus side because it's kind of cheesy, and I, you know, I do it, but I feel kind of bad when I do it. It's like you can like march at them, and they will stop a siege that they would otherwise win. And as soon as they get off of it, you're like, okay, well, I guess I guess we're done here, and and stop trying to chase them down. Um, like that's, like, like that's a thing that like. I wish that the computer was better at dealing with rather than doing like having basically cheats on, which is the thing I was describing earlier where they can overspend and whatnot. And this is the thing that you and I buddy have talked about is that, you know, mm-hmm. it's always kind of frustrating when, when the AI is cheating rather than behaving smartly. Um, but, uh, um, 
Is there anything kind of systematically, Nick, that, that you've seen that, that, that you're, that, that you're not a fan of? Um, because AI, AI problems are kind of like, I think, feel like that's like a unbeatable dream, right? Like maybe eventually we'll get there, but it's, it's, it's kind of like a, a right. And I also imagine that a lot of it's that as the game has a lot more player feedback now that it's released, there's just so much more testing that can be done now than could be done before release. And my understanding is that a number of the mechanics were still getting heavily fine-tuned pretty close to release, which meant that they had less time for nailing down some of those AI quirks. So I imagine some of the most egregious pieces will probably get patched out in the near future. Yeah, like the... Uh... What's the, the the one that you were talking about off cast, which is the the abduction kind of exploit, uh, where the... I mean that one the AI hasn't been exploiting as much, so I'd rather like to keep that one in. Um, <laughs> but the exploit that I was referring to is that apparently, uh, if you have captured the enemy liege, uh, you have one hundred percent war score from it as a critical prisoner, and if you were to plot to abduct. Uh, and you then declare war on the faction right as you abduct the enemy ruler, uh, you can get an instant 100% war score uh, without needing to actually fight any battles. So that is admittedly very broken, uh, though risky. So have fun as you will with that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I have done sort of some of these things, and it's tough to see, like, what is the difference between an exploit and just, like, good strategy? For instance, something that I've done in a lot of Europa games, um, uh, or even, like, Stellaris games, is you make moves to show the AI what you're doing long enough that they kind of, like, lock in their game plan, and then you, like flip the script on them, right? So, like, the classic for this is you are moving somewhere. The AI is moving into a place that's kind of, like, nearby you, and the moment that their route is locked in, you turn around and, like, chase them, right? Which is a good way to, like, lock them down or whatever. Um, And it's, like, those moments, to me, feel like I'm a great strategist, right? It feels like I'm, you know, whatever. I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm, like, uh, Rob Stark outsmarting, you know, Jamie Lannister at the battle of whatever, whatever the fuck, right? Um, that like I I showed him that I was doing one thing and then I like turned it around on him and I can kind of like get that jump on him. But like the older version of those sorts of exploits where you could go and it would take like 28 days to get into the next zone or whatever, but then you could you could wipe all of that progress and effectively be at the center of the zone and start your, like, your new progress to move into another zone. There were a lot of exploits with that that I would say, like, those are exploits, right? Like, those are legitimately, you know, ways to sort of, like, abuse the game in your favor. Yeah, I, so, so, Nick, uh, I'm, uh, so, the way that, that, it, that like, so, so I think, like, the abduction thing kind of falls on the other side because I believe you have to have screen up to hit the button to abduct someone and then declare the war in order for it to work. Or is, is, am I right on that? Or is that just the most effective way to do it? Um, um, to do it effectively would be to have the screen up ready to go saying, hey, are you ready to abduct? Yay, nay, here's your percent chance of succeeding. If you fail, it's this percent chance of 
basically being found out or otherwise uh, penalty uh, or chickening out, not going forward. So as soon as you have that screen up, ready to go, it's reached the full uh, year or two that it might need to prepare for the scheme. Uh, that's the instant you declare war. Then you fire, uh, click the button. A day or two later, you'll get the result. Uh, and then assuming that they turn up in your jail, you instantly get that 100% war score. But like if, if, uh, if let's say you weren't at that point, like would you be able to say start an abduction scheme on the enemy ruler while you were at war with them? Or is that uh is, is... Yes, but there's always the percent chance of it not progressing. And a lot of those schemes take so long that it could be very difficult to actually uh, progress in the middle of war. Additionally, you'd likely need some agents in the enemy court, and they may be a lot less willing to help you if you're actively at war with them. Right. And so that, that's where I think it starts to cross into um, exploit territory, right? Like you are kind of like abusing the game state um, to, make it, to make it work super quickly. Um, and I don't know how you how you how you fix that, right? Because it's not as bad as I thought it was. Which is like I thought there was some prohibition on abduction if you were at war, and so this was just kind of like abusing, kind of like an in between state where the, the the box was up. But apparently that's not the case. So um, maybe less of an exploit, but also like it feels like that's like a like if, I feel like the way you do this is you know like well when you're at war you're much more uh, you're much more prepared for abductions or something. I don't know. I don't know how you how you uh, deal with. Okay, so one other thing that I do want to bring up is that um, we've done this a couple of times when it comes to Paradox games, right? We did it with Stellaris, and we did it with Imperator Rome. Um, and those are two games that I would say, almost like quite famously among the, the Paradox fan community, got really, I don't know I don't know what to say, shit on, on release, right? Like, people were not very happy with Stellaris on release. People were not very happy with... Um, uh Imperator Roman release. I was there for the release of Hoi 4, which was also not great. Um uh though Hoi 4 has kind of, you know, whatever. Um this sort of feels like the different one, right? Like this is the one that feels like it lands and it lands right right on day 1, right? No no issues, no real problems. Um are you getting that same sort of feeling? Like do you feel like uh that that part of the, you know, when we were talking about this being the one to kind of break through, part of the it breaking through is a you know, like a certain level of polish and definition um and these sorts of refined mechanics that we're that we're all looking for. Uh, yeah, I think I think I agree with that. I think I phrased that like a question, but I don't think I actually asked the question there. Well, it, 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 <laughs> it, it, it did it, it did land right. Like I think it is a yeah. good version of uh, okay, um, of this. Um, and I think part of that is basically it's it's almost like CK two point five with a fresh coat of paint, right? Like it's it's like Stellaris and Imperator where were entirely new uh, kind of. IPs, um, or Imperator might not technically be, but like it, it, they essentially weren't connected to anything before them very directly. Whereas this has a lot of the things in CK2, it just kind of like pressure. Um, where yeah. so, so it's really standing on the shoulders of CK2, right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, whereas, um, uh, uh, like I'm not so sure about Hearts of Iron 4 because I haven't played a ton of HOI, HOI 3 or HOI 4, um, so maybe you could speak more directly to that, but I, I feel like that you know. The, 
the all the rough edges were sanded off of CK two, so CK you know CK two walked, so CK three could run. Whereas um, those experiences didn't translate super directly to, to Imperator or uh, or Stellaris. I just do want it on record that we should we should play Hoi Four. I think I think playing Hearts of Iron would be like really interesting. Hearts of Iron is also in the same sort of like um, uh, space as Stellaris. Like it has a lot less to do with sort of like personal decisions, and it is more about creating an efficient machine. Um, but you know, honestly, it's super fun. Um, but yeah, I I definitely I definitely feel that like it took a while I, I think almost like a year for Stellaris to really get on its feet right and I bet if I were to look at a graph of my interaction with Stellaris like I probably played twenty thirty hours right up front which is like respectable right but as it, it began to get DLC packs as we got Mega Corps as we got Gestalt Consciousness um, as we got all these new systems like Federations right Apocalypse and stuff like that that's where the game like really came alive for me and i was just like oh god man i love stellaris and i I, like go back and i play stellaris for each dlc at this point kind of in the same way that i do with total war warhammer 2 um but i do think it's a little interesting that like crusader kings doesn't have that same sort of feeling to it which might just be because of the you know like all of the features that were in there at launch um like we you know had i don't want to say requested right um but it's it, there. There is not those like holes of cut content that you are hoping they will fill in later. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely, I definitely think I, I agree with that. Um, yeah. I mean, we, we 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 talked about this right at the beginning. Is that we we got a bunch of stuff from CK two, so it's not like we're uh we're we're, we're having trouble uh rolling that forward if that makes or like uh we're, it's, it's not like we're, we're missing missing nick what do you yeah. what do you think uh i think i agree with that sentiment all right um hmm. what else what else is can we talk can about i just say here? that i'm really excited for the game of thrones mod that is ine- inevitably oh, going to yeah. come out i think half of my time in ck2 is actually in the in game of thrones mod for ck2 really? um yeah, because uh, I definitely did a pretty deep campaign of CK2 from I was Littlefinger, and I was seeing if I could try and replicate my, like, like the way that Littlefinger rises to power in the Game of Thrones books, uh, which I was, I didn't do, but I was actually kind of close uh, in a certain sense. Like, I was like, you know, by the time the Robert's Rebellion sort of, like, came around, I was Master of Coin for, I think, Tywin Lannister. Uh, but it might have been somebody else. Um, you you can you can go pretty far as Littlefinger in that because he has the genius trait. But anyway, um, the and I but I kept feeling that all last night when we were playing, I was like, oh god, the moment that whoever does the Game of Thrones mod, the moment the Game of Thrones mod for this game comes out, I'm going to be on that like white on rice. It is going to be like incredible because you can see the bones of it in the system that they have with all of the, you know, like the characters and the interactions and the council seats and the vassals and the wars and everything like that. Um, But with like the improved sort of structure of the menus and the UI and how everything sort of functions, I feel like it will actually be like very easy to make very compelling uh, games out of a game of Thrones, like total conversion mod. Not only that, but they also apparently made the mod tools stronger um, in a way that, like, that hopefully that, that'll be easier. 
less things that are um, hard coded and more things that are. I haven't dug too much into that, but it looks promising. The mod tools seem to be very strong. The workshop's already thriving. There's 745 different items currently sitting on the Steam Workshop. Wow. Uh, one of the more promising ones in terms of a current overhaul is something called Princes of Darkness, which is the Vampire the Masquerade overhaul. Wow. Okay. Ooh, that sounds excellent. I'm actually kind of interested. I wonder how they handled that. Like, do you think that they sent out like this is something that um that like WoW does for add-on creators? They like you know, with the at if you're the creator of an add-on, you get like PTR and beta builds like right up front. Um, so that you can update your add-ons to the new patch the day the patch comes out. Um, and I wonder if they did something sort of like similar. You know, like they gave guys like Quill18, right? Like the Let's Players and the streamers or whatever, um, keys for CK3, and they were playing pre-release copies for about two weeks beforehand. And I would be I would be kind of interested to know if Paradox was like, you know what, let's just like slide a key over here to like my boy whoever. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, I, I I don't imagine they would have done it for this release, but they might do it for for things rolling forward. I can see that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, although I know that like in ZK two, they they didn't like that there were there were problems with that with getting everything up to up to date. Like you you might put yourself on an older version in order to make sure your mod was compatible. Well, um, so CK three just came out, right? There were no like yeah, yeah. delays or anything like that, right? Oh. Uh yeah no it did paradox is so good at this you guys yeah <laughs> I was talking I was talking with some friends about like what my like what what is your like favorite like game studio and my initial answer right off the bat I was just like man paradox like those guys are clean you know like they don't they don't fuck around um they they communicate really well with like the players and uh, man woof yeah yeah no and like the the development diaries were super fun to follow too. Um, oh yeah, I, those development diaries. I when I when I interviewed for my job at uh, at Akupara Games, uh, one of the questions that I got asked was like, you know, who do you think does a good job like communicating with the player base for the fans? And I said Paradox. I was like, Paradox will put out development diaries that are so detailed, and nobody else wants to do this in the gaming space. It feels like because because you know, and, and I get it, right? Like it is nerve wracking, and it is a tough thing to do to like put your kind of thoughts and strategies on a design, you know, uh, in, in super minute detail out for the world to see. Um, because like the players are, are, are going to pick it apart. And there have been times where like development diaries, right? Like some of the, some of the Hoi Ford dev diaries are like really brutal. Um, because like the player base is just kind of not having it. Uh, but you know, it it is just like an uncompromising level of detail that players for Paradox games have access to that I just have never really seen replicated um, in any other like double or triple A sort of studio. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is because uh, you know, like they they make basically a unique product, right? Like, you know, it, it's not like no no one is do makes game games that work like this except for like maybe there's a couple of space games that are kind of like Stellaris um, that are like, you know, their own games that kind of are meeting with Stellaris halfway, but like no one's making a game like CK3 or like EU4 or like Hearts of Iron in in, in that same way. And uh, 
in, in, and so like there's not a lot to lose by putting it out there in terms of like getting sniped or whatever um you know it's not like if you release that you know the the new the new thing that's coming into your uh you know the, the new innovation you've got in your battle royale that you'll see it like pop up in Fortnite before uh before your game gets released um, yeah, I mean, like, I definitely do think that they have competitors, right? Like, obviously, Total War Warhammer 2 is, and and all of the Total War games, right, like, are, are pretty direct competitors. Um, I would argue that Civ is a pretty direct competitor. Um, there's the Endless Space guys, the Endless Legend guys, whatever their studio is called. Um, Galactic Civilizations is another one. So, like, there are a lot of these sorts of games uh definitely out there but just you know and even games that i love are on that list right like i have 800 hours in total war warhammer 2 i gush about total war warhammer 2 at every possible opportunity um but even i would say you know just like like grace does a great job she's an amazing cm as a cm i think you know she she's she's incredibly competent at what she does but we are all sort of getting dusted by these uh by the paradox dev diaries and the way that they interact with their community yeah, I mean, so j- just to, to to kind of push back a little bit there, right? Like we've talked about this before, but Total War games are not like see, or are not like the Paradox games in that they are primarily combat games that are supported by the rest of the game, right? Civ is like a lot more abstract; it's more like a board game; and it's turn based. So I think that, like, I think that you know maybe I'm splitting hairs a little bit too fine, but like there's there's just like nothing that kind of captures the kind of meter and timbre maybe of, of the way the paradox games play out um you see i feel like that's kind of saying that like you know cod and battlefield are are different because one of them is like vehicle focused and the other is like 1v1 or like valorant and cod or i, I mean i don't know maybe i should be doing this in fps's right like sure they, there are definitely differences in the genre but if you are a strategy game player Odds are you are paying attention to Paradox games. You're paying attention to Total War Warhammer. You're paying to, to, to you know the Total War games. You're paying attention to Civ. You're paying attention to right and and maybe not all of these. Maybe some of these right like Char- friend of the cast Charles. Um, he's a strategy guy. Uh, he really loves Civ. Uh, his he loves Endless Legend, Endless Legend Two, Endless Space. Those games. Um, and he's also a big fan of. Um, I want to say Galactic Civilizations, uh, but he's never touched a Paradox game. He's never touched, right, like Total War Warhammer. Um, but, like, they are all in the same sort of, like, ecosystem is really what I'm is what really what sure, I'm sure. getting at. Yeah, but my point with the, with the original point is that, like, they are, like, you're not, like, it would be weird for, it would be tough, maybe is the way to put it, for, say, Civilization to take a thing out of CK3 and implement it in a way, right? Like, your leader doesn't die in, 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 in civilization, right? Like, those systems wouldn't translate. So, like, the, this thing I'm talking about where, like, you know, maybe part of the hesitancy is, is, is keeping people from kind of, like, healing your tech is, is, yeah, not, sure, sure. is, is not as relevant. That's uh, Yeah, I mean, one of the funny things is I actually kind of feel like CK3 has sort of a little bit stolen Total War tech um, in the way that, you know, uh, it reminded me a lot of Total War Three Kingdoms. Um which I, I, you know, like, is not my headliner, but it is one I play a lot of. Um, one of the things that Three Kingdoms and also Warhammer do is they sort of define characters in their their kind of, like, talent trees in a way. Um, so, for instance, in, in Three Kingdoms, you could be, like, a cunning captain, general, whatever it was called. Um, 
where you could be like an aggressive, you could be like a vanguard, I think. Um, in the same way that like in Warhammer, you can be a somebody who focuses on the blue tree, which is very campaign focused, the red tree, which is buffing your army, the yellow tree, which is about buffing you specifically so that you become like a really badass fighter sort of thing. That's something that I feel echoed quite a lot in the lifestyle system of um, uh, of CK3. And I don't see a similar precedent for it in the other titles. Though I didn't play enough... It might be an Imperator, and I just, like, don't know. Um, but, like, when I think of Stellaris, when I think of um, when I think of EU4, uh, those sorts of, like, character-specific, very in-depth skill trees is something that, like, Total War picked up with the Warhammer titles, um, and that I see Paradox picking up here. Well, I, I, think, I think that's fair. Um, this is, like, the only really character... Like, you know, let's be honest, this isn't really the only... Like, character focused um paradox yeah, yeah, game. Yeah. yeah, like I don't think it would make sense in Stellaris, obviously. In fact, yeah. it's funny because like one of the things about Warhammer that makes it easy is that your characters uh who are super special can't die, right? Like unless you lose your campaign, you're never gonna lose Carl Franz out of your military. And you can also make certain of your characters immortal, which is actually a huge deal because I, they had similar sorts of systems in like Rome, right? Where you could like build up your big badass general but he would die and it just sucks to lose like a level 10, you know, general or whatever. Um, and CK three is kind of a little bit more along, along those sorts of lines uh, comparatively. Yeah. I At mean, the same time, that was one of the things that made agents bearable in the earlier ones is that yeah. you'd never get the super high level agents all over the place because they die off. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. And, and like, I don't know, the CK three system kind of just like makes that, not as much of an issue because, you know, you're all like in, you're, you're, you're always using your, or rather you're, you're not like raising generals in total war Rome, right? Like you are like in, in CK three, your kid is growing on his own while it's happening. So when you die, you can inherit him. And like, you know, there's going to be other characters that are in, that are in stages of development on the map that you can, that you can tap if your, if your characters die. Whereas uh, the Total War games, like, because it's less of a simulation, it's more kind of like a, you call things as they are needed. Like, those characters, like, the, like, those characters don't exist. They kind of get summoned forth from the ether. That makes sense. Um, but, you know, that's, uh, that's just kind of like a, a, a difference uh, in, the way, in the way it kind of works. Um, but we're, we're verging on an hour. Nick, you didn't. Uh, you, you've maybe been a little bit quieter. Did you have anything else you want to talk about before we moved on to our weeks? No, I think I'm good. All right. Well, uh, then we can uh, move on to our weeks, I guess. Uh, I, uh, actually, last time we, we spent the entire cast building Omega. So, Nick, do you want to talk about what you've been playing for the past, I don't know, year or so? Yeah, what, 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 are, what are the games that you are like spending your time on? I guess besides CK3. <laughs> Besides CK3, um, I've generally kept up with FF14. I've not been as big on a lot of the party content, but the game has so much story to it that I've just generally been playing it almost as a single-player game. Um, then I have revisited a lot of the Baldur's Gates. Uh, I played through Baldur's Gate... Uh, Enhanced Edition, and I'm playing through Baldur's Gate 2 Enhanced Edition right now. Wow. Um, I figure I might be able to finish that before the Baldur's Gate 3 Early Access uh, pops up. 
that said, Baldur's Gate 3 is being done by Larian as opposed to <laughs> Bioware. Um, and that uh, it'll probably end up playing a lot more like Divinity Original Sin than anything in the OG Baldur's Gate. Yeah, so Larian is, are, are the Divinity Original Sin people, right? Yeah. And they Divinity. make everything Divinity, okay, regardless right. of what Divinity it is. Divine Divinity was actually a, a, a like a Diablo style game, yes. way back in the day. Um, they cut their teeth with Diablo Diablo style games. Yeah, I'm actually, uh, you know, I, I they're going to release Baldur's Gate three into early access soon. Actually, um, it might actually even be out by this point. I haven't looked at it, but I it, didn't I, think it was out yet. But it could be quite soon. Uh, I am I'm just like kind of not happy with the kind of early access kind of part of that. Like, it's Baldur's Gate, right? Like, I don't want So, this is something that Larian always does, which is that they release the first act of their game as early access because they want the community in there to be giving feedback. Uh, And this is their form of community interaction, is they release the first act early access, they get a lot of feedback, they do a lot of fine-tuning and interaction that way. Uh, while they're busy building out the second and third act of the game. That's fair, I guess. I, I really um, consider it that. It's, it's September 30th, by the way, if you at home who are curious. So, a couple weeks. Uh, but I, I, I guess I get that. Um, uh, I wonder... I, I, so, when, so, did you play through the 1 and 2 recently, or did you just kind of dabble in it? Um, I played them a bunch growing up. I played Baldur's Gate 1 so much growing up, um, and I did just finish a full run-through of it, as well as the much more recently completed Siege of Dragonsphere. Uh, I'm currently in the middle of a Baldur's Gate 2 run. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I, had, I played a bunch when I was a kid, too. Um, I'm actually curious, who was, who was in your, uh, your party? Uh, in Baldur's Gate 2? Or 1. One okay, um, Imowen is the perfect thief. I always kind of felt it was a shame that they made her into a thief mage dual class in Baldur's Gate Two, or rather that they did it too early in her progression. Um, and it's a bit of a retcon there. Um, my main character is a fighter, um, and. I'll end up dual class, or I've ended up dual classing him into Thief specifically to um, compensate for the loss of Emily for the most part. Uh, I was using Minsk and Dynahair uh, as well. Um, and I believe I ran most of the time with Khalid and Jahira as five and six. So the canonical party uh, which, for Baldur's Gate 1. Which are Khalid and Jahira again? I, I, it's been a while. Uh, Khalid and Jahira are the Harpers, who were good friends of your mentor, Gorion. Um, okay. okay, interesting. See, I, I like to re- use the, the depressed guy, the depressed mage. Um, I can't remember his name. Zan. Zan, yeah. He was always super fun because he hated everything. I loved you. <laughs> <laughs> Him and Minx were my favorites. Uh, uh, like I said, it's been Did a while. Did you run double wizards? Uh, or double mages? Maybe. Who who would the other one be? 
Dynahair. Minsk and Dynahair are largely inseparable. If you take too long rescuing Dynahair, uh, Minsk will leave the party. And um, if you try to remove one while the other is in the party, the other will leave. Okay, so th- this is actually going to reveal my uh, my my my, uh, my 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 greatest shame. Um, when I was playing through it, I was like the, the run I was playing through it. I was like at the the Knoll encampment where you have where you have to rescue Dinah Hare when Minx decided I'd been taking too long and like left the party, and I couldn't get the you know it was like I was like literally in the middle of trying to get get a, get Dinah Hare. So that's and I basically. Uh, got depressed after that and i never finished the game so <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yeah so f. Yeah, yeah just just press f yeah so at some point I'll, I'll have to go back and uh and and finish that or maybe maybe i will i don't know um but uh i think i think i, I heard recently that, that minx was announced for Baldur's gate 3 I, I think i like saw something on twitter about it so um he would be the guy really? to return. Um, uh, I I might be off on that. I definitely I, I think maybe it was like I saw Minx trending on Twitter or something, uh, which would uh, make sense. Let me see. Let me see if I can confirm this. While I'm doing that, buddy, why don't you tell us what you've been up to? Uh, uh, I've been playing like a ridiculous amount of World of Warcraft. I, I'm actually very proud of myself. I got what's called um, Keystone Master. So uh, I, I talked about going like really deep and really like hard for Mythic Plus recently. Um, and the sort of pinnacle achievement for that is called Keystone Master for like a season, right? So for instance, this season, um, it's plus 15, uh, it's season four. And so if you get a plus 15 key timed for every single dungeon in the game, you get Keystone Master, which rewards a mount and is basically the dungeon equivalent of mythic rating, um, in terms of just like skill and strategy and all that stuff and so i've been working on this for quite a while um but i finally did did it i finally did it uh so you know at, at this point i'm one of the top tanks on the server i'm one of the top dps on the server which like it's just kind of like feels good to be honest right like to be you know of all of the um of all of the tanks on on raven holt i'm like the fifth best tank um or whatever you know, like or whatever the the, the case may be. Um, uh, I th- that has mostly been what I've been like paying attention and kind of like going hard for. Uh, at some point, just like a group of us got together, like in the uh, like in the guild, and have just been working pretty nonstop at like achieving stuff like this. It's kind of like the way that we used to play League. Where, like, every day after, you know, like, after work or whatever, we would all get on together and play a bunch of rounds of League. Now it's sort of like doing that, but with Mythic, with Mythics, right? Where it's just kind of like, hey, who's around for Mythics? And we all get on and start, you know, and start farming stuff. Um, though, you know, I, I was really the only person that got really deep to go for the 15s. Like, the 15s were really what I wanted to do. Um, whereas a lot of my, uh, a lot of my friends ended up being, uh, you know, like they, they they were more interested in doing the tens because they didn't want to pug. I had to pug a lot of my fifteens just because, like, getting the keys is kind of hard. Um, 
you know, when you complete the dungeon, you get a key, but it's always for like a random dungeon. There are 12 dungeons in the game right now. So it just makes it or 10 dungeons, no 12 dungeons uh, in the game right now. Uh, So it just like makes it that much, a little more difficult to sort of like plan out and get what you need for a long time. I was sitting on plus 15 tool de gore as the other one, as the only one that I couldn't get. And, um, earlier last week, I was just sitting on wow on my other screen all day, constantly searching pugs for 15 told the gores to get in. Uh, and I ended up running like three or four in one day. And the first three were all bad, but the fourth one, we finally, like we finally got there. Um, so, you know, yeah, that's, uh, that's that, I guess. Well, congratulations then. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, oh, so just to, to fill everyone in at home, apparently, Minsk and Boo were uh, teased, essentially, back in June. Somebody from Larian was like, well, they're still alive. You'll see what's up when you play Baldur's Gate 3. Um, so not directly confirmed, uh, just for, for that. Buddy, did you ever play Baldur's Gate? I did, uh, but a long, long time ago. I honestly don't remember anything about it. Like, okay. It's one of those games. Like, there are certain games from that time period I could, like, tell you every plot point in them. Uh, like Ratchet and Clank, right? Starcraft, those kinds of games that were just like super formative. And Baldur's Gate, I played it. I don't know that I beat it. I played a lot of it though. Uh, and it just kind of, I don't know. It's funny that it just washed over me because like I love Bioware. Uh- <laughs> it was also um, Black Isle, um, I believe. Which yeah, is, like- that's true. Though I didn't know anything about like Fallout or anything like that until way later. Uh, for my part, um, I have been in New Jersey not playing games, so, uh, I mean, we, we missed last week, uh, so that's the, not what was, that was happening there, but before that I was playing... Yeah, that was Labor Day weekend. Yeah, yeah. Before that I was playing, uh, CK3, um, and what else was I playing? Oh, you know what game I was playing, buddy? Playing a game called Spinch. Um, oh, yeah, let's talk about Spinch. I have also played a lot of Spinch at this point. I'm halfway through World 4 after three episodes of Buddy Gets Good. Uh, yeah, I, I forget how far I am into it, but it, it's uh, it's an interesting game. Um, did you guys patch the uh, frame rate issue? Uh, uh, s- nope, that was okay. not patched. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's stuff like this sucks. Um, Spinch. Yeah, yeah, no, it happens. One of the things that that's tough about Spinch is, or that's tough about this game is that we don't have a lot of opportunity to attach on like a variety of systems, right? Because like we have one QA guy and he has one computer, um, so like this was just an issue that we, you know, we didn't realize that playing on those super high frame rate monitors uh, would would cause a problem. Which is weird because I have a hundred and forty four hertz monitor, um, but I. I have never had trouble even playing, um, you know, like the first episode of Buddy Gets Good where I was playing Spinch was played on that monitor at 144 frames a second or uh, at 144 hertz without any. Yeah, 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 it's like so it's a weird refresh rate problem that and the funny thing is, is that as soon as people reported it, I was like, oh, I know exactly what this is, because we had that exact same problem with Desert Child, which is another Game Maker game. It's it's specifically a weird thing that Game Maker does where it like tries to tie your frame rate to your refresh rate directly and it causes all sorts of issues. Um so, you know, yeah, uh there have been a bunch of other problems that have just kind of like crept up. Uh one of the other things with Spinch is that it's very hard. Uh so there was not a lot of like testing in some of the deeper levels. Um 
Though the final boss did get nerfed a couple of times, which I find pretty funny. Uh, but in case anybody's wondering or like listening to this specifically for like the spinch details, I guess uh, I made over the weekend a public Trello board just to show everyone um, what the bugs that we have been reported, what the feature requests are. I've actually been getting really into the speed running. Like speed runners are going apeshit for spinch, and it is like honestly the most satisfying thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah, there was a speedrunning contest that you you I'm quote unquote competed in, right? Well, I mean, so so this is what happened, right? Like, I watched you, buddy, gets good at spinch, and watched you like fail like horribly at that at uh that one where you have the the level where you have to bounce off the uh, birds a bunch. Um, oh and, my god, yeah, yeah, three dash. I think it's three dash one. Yeah, I watched. Oh my I, god, I watched you play it for like twenty five minutes, and like. I, like, got on later and bought the game and played it for a little while, and I think I got it done, done in, like, two minutes, like, really, like, quickly. I was like, hey, and I sent it, I sent it to you as kind of like a, like a, like a gloat, um, which is actually how I, uh, how I discovered that I was having a frame rate issue, because it was like, we were like, this looks slow. I was like, ah, it's felt slow. Maybe it's something with that. Um, and so oh, really? Yeah, 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 you sent me the clip, and I was like, yeah, your spinch is moving a lot slower than I think he's supposed to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh. Then you, you told me about the speedrunning thing, and I was like, huh, it's an indie game. Probably doesn't have too much attention yet. Maybe I can go for this. And so then I went to the level that, that you highlighted and, like, got, like, a really decent run. It's, like, 153, and the record's, like, 145. I'm like, uh, I'm not going to be good enough for this. Um, it ended at, I think, one – hold on. Because it, it ended today, I'm pretty sure, um, and we, like, announced it. I need to, I need to like, quickly take a look. I watched I, I watched a bunch of the speedruns from the guy um who ended up winning. His name he's in the Discord. Um and uh he he he's called like soup that is too hot and 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 he was like streaming it and stuff like that. So yeah, the final time was 133.30. And I remember, and Jesus. this is the crazy thing about speedruns. And people always talk about this when they talk about speedruns. But like I remember when we were first doing it, people were like, I think like sub 145 is like possible, but like very hard to do. Um and now we're talking about like sub 135 runs. Uh the big innovation that Soup had that carried him, um, he ended up breaking his own record like six or seven times in a row. Um is damage boosting in particular areas of the game um is specifically inside of the giant robot you damage boost through those things you just take the hit and then use the iframes to keep going uh and then there's another piece of platforming where like the whole ground is like strobing rainbow lava um and you damage boost all the way through the ground because you can just keep dashing over and over again so you have like like super fast uh oh, so this damage refresh your dash is that is that what happens well no so it's not that da- you're you on the ground you can just dash you dash 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 and you you right. can always go top speed um but in the air you only get the one dash right oh okay, um, but you can also i also think that there's like there's weird tech about this that i don't know the details of like i'm pretty sure if you wall every time you wall jump you get a dash and people were talking about using that right like oh well maybe if i wall jump off this thing instead of just dropping i can use the dash to like get more speed um one of the interesting things about getting best times on that level is like the very end because wall sliding is super slow right right um and the very at the very end of the thing, there's kind of like a little door that's open, and you're intended to hit it and sort of slide down into it. But if you can just kind of like 
jump into it. And I'm, and I'm literally watching Soup's playthrough, and he doesn't do this correctly on this run, which means that there is a better run out there, actually. Somebody to get sub 13330. Um, where if you just, like, if you dive into it directly and you don't wall slide down, you get in there much faster, right? And you can shave, like, 15 milliseconds off the run. Yeah, no, it was nuts. And I'm very interested to see, like, more speedrunning uh, shenanigans, uh, especially now that the, the leaderboards are live. Um with the game so you can see like global competition so, so I, i'm curious i encountered a, this bug a couple of times i think it might have been tied to the frame rate thing but i want to know if you've you've seen this where if you slide off of a wall you don't actually stop sliding like oh, the moonwalk yeah that got patched out okay yeah, yeah. I, was, <laughs> I was gonna say I, I, I was i was wondering if you could like abuse that because like the the abusable thing there is that like you keep Fall, you fall at like that at the slide rate, right? So you can like mm-hmm. kind of like moonwalk across the sky. Um, I did that actually. So I was convinced that there was a secret inside inside of like the the, the column that the birds fly out of in that three one. So I spent yeah. like a bunch of time getting myself in there, and I managed to moonwalk my way into it. And it turns out that no, there's nothing in there. And the game was yeah. very, <laughs> very confused. But, yeah, uh, the moonwalk uh, the moonwalk got patched out pretty quickly by uh, by our programmer Rob. Um, who said that was? Who said it was pretty funny? He he he's um one of the things that's funny about Spinch is that it is like a pretty simple, straightforward game, right? Retro two D platformer. But like he starts about it, he's like, this game is like secretly incredibly complex, and which I think is mostly a result of just like the things that we take for granted in platformers, which are kind of like interesting, like how certain jumps. You know what I mean? Like, so for instance, you can actually walk off an edge and still jump because you have a couple of frames of like leeway where yeah, 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 yeah. So there's a bunch of stuff like that. And I had no idea about any of this. There's a bunch of stuff like that that is like considered standard to just like making the kinesthetic feeling of platforming feel good um in this game and in other games like celeste and stuff like that um that are just like incredibly technically complex that i just had no idea for so yeah and spinch is spinch is uh spinch is you know it's happening it's a whole thing uh <laughs> there's a great game makers toolkit uh video on uh on celeste that, that talks about some of these things not about the technical details but about like how like about what they are i'll try and link it in the description um uh but yeah, I, I mean that all being said, like Spinch is fun, but it like the slipperiness of Spinch himself like is something that that irks me personally. And oh, because he has momentum. Yeah, and it's like yeah. a lot of momentum. Um, and maybe this was exa- exacerbated because I was playing it like super slow mo mode initially. But like he also turns around real slow. So like if you if you come off a wall, uh, or if you're like you know in in those in those space levels, right. If you're trying to reverse direction and you dash too early, you'll dash, even though you're kind of like drifting to the right, if you're still facing to the left, you hit the dra- da- dash button, you'll dash to the left. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like I said, I think that's exasperated because I was playing a sumo moment, but the, the real, the real, I think I described them to you as like war crimes are the water levels. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, did you watch the water levels stream? I So th- this is the story of Spinch in Buddy Gets Good. First episode, two worlds in about two hours. Second episode, all of World 3 in about two hours. The third episode is just the first two maps, the first two levels of the water levels. Um, just because, god damn. God damn those levels. So, so the one thing that I will say that I think is a legit problem, like a, a thing that I, that I think is like really hurtful to the game, is okay. it's not in the first two levels of 
the water levels. It's the one where like the it has like the the streams. Oh yeah, so I have refi- I I got a bunch of feedback about this. So the way those work is you're supposed to swim against the stream to give yourself finer control, but you have no tutorializing for that, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, but like um, I have heard that because you don't like you don't use the control stick to swim in most levels, right? Like you kind of like jump and you know, um, like specifically in the vertical ones, right? Because like it is not intuitive that you can press against it, right? Like. Um, right when you when you sent me when I was talking to you, I was trying to beat that level, and like I thought, like it was like this legit impossible. I must be missing something, and that's the only time I figured it out was like because I literally didn't think I could compete the level just by pressing sideways in those up, up and down streams. You have to hold against the current, which mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know, but it's, it's good that you you have that feedback already. It's good that I didn't have to. I don't know it. if because some of this stuff is like, for instance, Spinch having that momentum is like a legit design. Oh thing, yeah, right? no, no. And, and, um, that's the thing that's aggravating to me, right? Like, this, yeah, 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 yeah. This last one is uh, the only one that I think is like legit, like bad, right? Yeah, because I, because I, we have a bunch of feature requests. So we have like, a, we have a couple of feature requests, which are things like, so some of it is just like basic speedrunner help stuff, like being able to just quick restart a level if you know you fuck up your run rather than having to like die, like force yourself to die. That saves like five seconds for speedrunners kind of thing. But then there are a couple of like small design considerations, like some tutorializing about that uh, that swim mechanic. Uh, I've also, we've also gotten some feedback about the um, the the checkpoint placement in level six, which like, let me tell you, that is a backbreaker of a level uh i mean i haven't even been there but it's just like watching people play and talking to people who play 6-1 is um is is a real backbreaker of a level and they and and folks have asked for um a like a like a different kind of like checkpoint placement there were a couple of other like considerations that folks asked for like the ability to dash up and down in the water levels um which we eventually sort of rejected out of design considerations like that kind of breaks the game a little too much and isn't really like built to be like a you know, like a feature or whatever. Um, but you know, just stuff like that. Yeah. No, like, like the things that make the water besides the, the stream stuff that we talked about, the thing that to me that makes the water level frustrating is that he has so much momentum and it's much harder. I feel to, to change it in the water than it is on the land. Yeah. Um, the thing, the thing that bothered me the most. Um, yeah, it's funny. I thought I was going to be good at the water levels because I felt like I was very bad at the sort of like chain platforming pieces, right? But like when I had the opportunity to go slow and take my time, I was like, I feel like I can be precise. And it was like, no, buddy, you 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 just fucking suck at platformers. Uh, <laughs> so that's the story of my week. I suck at fucking platformers, but I'm also like a top one percent WoW player or some shit like that. So yeah, you know, different strokes for uh, different folks, folks. Nick, do you have anything else you want to talk about? No, I think I'm good. Uh, so uh, you, you mentioned that you had you had started up a CK3 game while while uh, in the background. Who are you playing as? I decided that uh, since I have not been as fond of tribal uh, rulers, uh, that I look for someone feudal that wasn't overwhelmingly big, but um, was in a potentially interesting start. So I ended up deciding to look to the east and decided to pick the Duchy of Gangzhou in the Tibetan plains as one of the Han rulers. Uh, it's been a bit interesting, and I decided to do Iron Man, which I usually don't do, and now I'm kind of regretting, uh, <laughs> as is typically the case. 
uh, I won one Holy War, and it looks like I'm about to lose lose my second. I, I was reading that apparently farming Tibet is super brutal because you need to hold like 187 counties um, in order to in order to, to form Tibet. So uh, good luck with that. I actually like playing on Iron Man because it kind of forces you to to own your decisions and you can't back out of them. Um, I they- like being able to back out of decisions. I like being able to bullshit through things. Uh, yeah. uh, Fair enough. Different strokes. Um, yeah. One last thing that I wanted to uh, to recommend before we punched out, and I talked to you guys a little bit about this, um, is today, Action Button Reviews, I believe what it was called, dropped a three and a half hour review of Doom, uh, the classic Doom. And uh, it is just kind of like a really, really interesting piece of, um, I almost kind of like, you know how like you kind of get these like long Jason Schreier pieces about different aspects of something. Um, uh, it kind of feels like that to me, or like a good like a good bunny hop video, right? Where um, he talks about uh, a bunch of things about a specific about uh, you know a specific uh, either piece of games journalism or a specific game. It's like staple a couple of those together, right? Like take a bunny hop review of a game and a bunny hop you know, investigative piece on John Carmack and John, uh, John, uh, Romero and a bunny hop kind of exploration of, you know, uh, politicians blaming video game or, or gun violence on video games. Like take all of those and smash them together into a three and a half hour long saga and make it funny and entertaining. Um, and I definitely think it's worth, I, I think, I think it's worth a watch. Um, it is three and a half hours, but uh, if any of you have three and a half hours, it, it, it is an, a, an ordeal to sit through watching it at two times speed. Um, but, you know, I, I would re- recommend it to anybody out there, and uh, I'll put it a link in the description and maybe break it up over a couple of days. But it's, uh, I think it's a, a pretty good watch. Um, it's by Tim, the Action Hunt Reviews, and it's uh, Tim Rogers is the guy who does it. He's, uh, I think he's formerly of Kotaku. He's um, been, a, been around. I've seen him. I've seen him around on, on different places before, but uh, I want to highly recommend that. Um, but do you have anything else you want to talk about before we punch out of here? No, I guess I don't. I mean, we talked a bunch about Spinch. I feel like, uh, yeah, I feel like we covered it. All right. Well, if you'd like to uh, to email us about what you think about uh, Crusader Kings 3 or Spinch or any of the other things we talked about on this podcast, you can do that at com or podcasts.com. Right? Review us on iTunes. Um, Maybe we'll stream one of the CK3 games at some point, so I will plug the Sunburst Play Games Twitch, twitch.tv slash Sunburst Play Games. Um, uh, uh, do all the things that, you know, follow us on socials. All the links are in the description. Uh, uh, Nick, do you want people to be able to follow you anywhere? I do not have any social media, not really. All uh, right. I'm good. All right, well... Uh, <laughs> And, buddy, do you have anything else you want to promote? I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. Well, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.